another thing that came up was having trust that everybody has their own role, right? And so where you have situations where maybe people are trying to um, get in on calls just to be there and maybe just to take credit for it, um, figuring out what's going on and, and dialing that back. Um, and then I would say the other thing is um, a lot of times the complaints have to do with time management, right? And, and a lot of times the things you hear are, hey, I emailed somebody and they didn't get back to me. Um, and so helping people have a good time management system will alleviate that. As I think, yeah, understanding expectation of the role that you're required and supposed to do kind of gives you uh, a term that has been used a lot recently. I've seen this as swim lanes, right? Everyone should have their swim lane that they know that they're t- dealing with and living in. Um, and it, sometimes we're going to, you know, maybe accidentally slap our hand into another lane uh, if we're doing a backstroke that's a little unmanageable. But those things happen and it's under- it's, it's good to understand how do we handle those as leaders and, and with our colleagues as well. Um, great stuff, great stuff. Cool, Mahesh, over to you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and, and James, uh some of our discussion in our breakout room was just kind of aligned to the experience you shared, right? Going directly to engineering. So it was all about, you know, um, how do we approach others? You know, the feedback people have received on, on the way of doing that. How do we respond back to somebody and, and how do we manage our own work? So, you know, uh, in, in all three or four cases, we, we learned, you know, how managers helped um, by first of all, taking the conversation private, any feedback conversation um, shouldn't be a public, you know, conversation, uh, and and then helping uh, people, um, you know, balance between that sense of you know transparency and following the protocol and doing what is the right thing, uh, instead of you know uh, people complaining about you know uh, wayward approaches, right? Um, so it, it was mostly, I would say, you know, bottom up, uh, the participants in the uh, group were sharing their individual feedbacks and experiences. Uh, and, and one of the experiences I had uh, that I shared with the group was around um, the feedback I get on some of my CSMs. It's, it's a topic I'm sure many leaders have heard where cross-function teams tells you that your CSM does not think strategically. Right, um, and, and that's a big, um, you know, complex thing to untangle. Um, and if if anybody in any other group has kind of dealt with it, I'd be curious to hear their views. Uh, but for me, it was all about you know uh, communication, clarifying expectation, and really uh, breaking it down. What thinking and acting strategically means, uh, in making sure that everyone is aware of what it means versus everyone spinning up their own definitions and expectation of strategic. So um, that's, uh, that's, that's our uh, group's input. I think the, the strategic versus tactical in itself is something that carries such a, a weird stigma of like, well, oh, to, to be strategic, do you have to have a uh, seven figure account um and yeah. you know how do you only have five accounts so you can be strategic or can you be strategic with a book of 100 cs uh, 100 accounts like your smb yeah. book or 200 or a thousand like how do you think strategically um for for a one to many or a many to one so i think that's a that's a huge discussion and that's again going back to kind of what russell was saying is defining that early on so that you don't get those kind of cross 
cross drop in someone saying like, well, I don't think your team is being strategic. And it's like, well, I'd love to understand what's your definite definition of strategic so that maybe, maybe we can all be on the right page. Cause again, their definition might be different to yours, but as a company, I think you have to be really smart and define those early on. And even um, more, Jeff, I mean, you may have from different departments, you know, different departments defining strategy in different ways. So, you know, one person's yeah. strategy can be another person's rubbish and vice versa. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But yeah, Jen, excited to hear what you have to say. Yeah, uh, in our breakout room, uh, that was certainly part of the topic um, where uh, it was talked, I think it was David that was, yeah, David was talking about um, first to check with uh, the other team, if it's coming from another team internally or from a client in terms of what their expectations were, as well as um, perhaps, you know, checking in terms of, did you set the correct expectations? Um, He was also talking about, if uh, to, before you give feedback to maybe check in and say, hey, how's it going today? And if a person's like, you know, and, and, and having some way of communicating as a team, like to, to gear that. So if you're going to do it as percentage, you could say, oh, I'm at 50% today. So then that might not be the day to address the issue to make. And that was something to that um, Paul was also talking about is making certain that someone is in a place to receive the feedback. Um, But then Swathi was also talking about making it maybe less of an event and always being open to feedback and, and modeling that so that then it becomes um, not such a big deal and that people expect to uh, give and receive feedback as a regular thing. Uh, And that was also, then we talked about if somebody is not open to receiving feedback generally and tries to avoid it, uh, strategies around that and creating like a social contract, which is something that Nils Vinya talks about too. And that's in his 30 day leadership book, that sort of thing. So we shared that. And then the last thing that we shared was also um, if you're recording uh, feedback as we're on Zoom a lot these days, that one thing you can do is then get feedback from the person who received it on how you coached them and even share that with someone else and who can give you guidance on how to be a better coach. And uh, I was talking to someone recently who does this on a regular basis. So that's all the strategies we were talking about in our session. I love that. Yeah, I like the the social contracts. One one thing that I do when I I hire a new person to the team or or absorb a new team, um, I like to set expectations. And part of an exercise we do is I I say, um, I ask them to fill out five things that I expect from my manager and then five things that my manager expects from me. And that way kind of we immediately set the tone of I know what they want. And then they have their perspective on what I what, what they think I want. And then we can get together and we discuss, like, how do you like to receive feedback? Do you like it publicly? Do you like it blasted in the Slack channels? What about LinkedIn? What about individually? How do you like your wins to be celebrated? And then how do you like me to drop some more of the constructive feedback? Do you prefer, like, immediately after a call, I note something and we just say, like, hey, uh, you know, it, it, I, I noticed this. Yeah, would you be willing to do that? And it's really good. And sometimes I've been told that, in, in, the, in the Slack age that we live in, the tone in which we write our messages is hyper, hyper important. Um, not everyone assumes positive intent. Um, I think I saw uh, Matt posted something on LinkedIn about always assuming positive intent. And not everyone does. And so one thing that I noticed coming from London to uh, California, there's a younger crowd of folks that I'm working with. 
And if you don't include exclamation marks or emojis, sometimes that can be interpreted as like, this is a bad thing, which is, uh, that's a learning moment. And again, it's like setting that expectation of, of communicating it. Um, so does someone say feedback is not like a, not like wine? It doesn't get better with age. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you definitely come across instances where, especially in the age that we're on, that we are in now, uh, one of the top points that comes out in discussion, and I think why Zoom and things of the like have uh, catapulted in the way that they do, you can include tone as you hear. Now I have an inflection, but if I write that in text, you can't hear that. And as you just brought up, James, you know, to be able to include an emoji, a smiley, uh, a, a goofy face, what have you, uh, you actually get that inflection or, or through an exclamation point. Um, and I definitely heard a lot of that in the breakout rooms, all different instances and uh, points of view of that. Uh, curious to see if anybody else has any points to add, though. I don't see any hands. Because I just had a question about the tone. Because well, let's I think, go. No, let's let's hear it. Yeah. Because mm. I understand that not everybody assumes positive intent, but if you're speaking to one person, say you're speaking to a couple of people, I personally can't sit here and worry about how every single person is going to interpret my message. Do yeah. I want it to come across the right way? Sure, but everybody reads things in their the way they interpret their own environment, the mood that they're in that day. There's a lot of things that you need to consider and you can start to cross the line into tone policing. And that's another place that you don't want to be. And I just fear, you know, that when someone attacks the, your tone and versus the message, that's when you need to take a step back and looking at it. Cause now again, we go into start into tone policing. So everybody's got a different mindset and it becomes really, really difficult. That was a magical question. We have hands. <laughs> Anastasia, what do we have? Well, I was just going to add that um, it also, uh, Jeremy posted on LinkedIn yesterday, which was a great post, uh, how he does not use emojis with his customers, but he uses emojis with his team. And I think once you get to know your audience and once you get to know your customers and once you get to know your employees, you kind of can figure out if they're more uh kind of straight shooter or if they prefer to have more direct communication or if they prefer to have more of a fun way of having emojis and all that. And same goes for customers. It may be a serious customer. If it's a CFO that doesn't want to be bothered with any sort of extra text that he needs to go through, then maybe emojis is not the right place to use them. But if it's somebody who's kind of more in, say, marketing field, that's kind of all about how to connect with humans, then they use uh, using emojis is perfectly fine. Know your audience. Always a great key. Phil, I've seen a lot of great. Uh, oh, sorry. If you want to go, with Josh can. I just Josh was unmuted and was was doing some. There was hand raising on the screen. And go for it. Hand raising. Then yeah, that's yeah. it. That's get, get, it. The, get the visual here. So we're bringing up a, a really important uh, idea of tone and intent. And one of the things that I think we're seeing, especially with COVID, as well as uh, this might be a little bit more natural for those of us who deal with uh, international teams is that the, the culture of email and the culture of what is written can vary greatly. And especially when you're dealing with one email that will go to many different cultures, as well as be forwarded on to other cultures. You have, you do need to take that extra time to go and set your, uh, your tone and to try to um, always look for the, to soften it when considering that. 
This being said, one strategy that I take is to internally have a, um, a, a, a click more playful interaction with uh, and tone and reputation within the team. So therefore, hopefully, um, when the ball does not bounce my way, people might, uh, who know me, might uh, say, hey, you know, I, I don't think that Joshua's had any uh, ill intent, right? But again, you uh, you don't know what uh, it is going to be uh, interpreted as down the chain. Um, so I, I was going to share, and it wasn't about tone, but um, there's a, a podcast series called Manager Tools that's it's fairly Americanized. Um, so some of us Brits bristle at, at some of the, the terms that they use and some of the things that they do. But there's some useful kind of nuggets in there. And one of them is a feedback, um, I don't know what they call it, a process, a mechanism. And the the theory behind it is you know, if you're going to give feedback, you want to do it for good and bad things. Use the same process for both. Nine out of 10 should be you feeding back to your teams when they've done something well, so that the one out of 10, when you're providing negative feedback or constructive feedback, that it's not, that's not the only time you ever tell them how they've performed. And it goes in the, the steps of one, I'm going to tell you this is feedback. You have to specifically say, I'm going to give you some feedback on X scenario. Then it's two, when you do X, the impact is Y. So I'd now like you to Z. So when you send emails with only one word to the exec, the exec is frustrated because they don't really know much about it. In the future, can you do more words? Or when you provide that extra level of detail, everybody really loves it because they know that you know what you're talking about. Can you please carry on doing that? Yeah, it's a, it's a, 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 a formula for one, two, three, but you have to do it for both good and bad. If you can do it for 90% of the time is, is when you're giving positive feedback. When you have to give the negative, it comes across as the same experience they've had before, but this time it's something they can learn from. I've, I've always found that very useful with my teams. I think that's that's absolutely spot on. It's And it's it's giving them some a point where it happened, that like when you did this, the impact was this, here's how to fix it. Instead of coming in and saying like, hey, the executives think you're lazy. That's immediately going to get somebody on the defensive, right? And you've, you've assumed, and that person is going to be like, nope, shutting down, not going to listen to this. That's not me. But you've said you did this, led to this, and here we go. So I, I think that's a great, that's a, that's yeah, a really the, good the point. The led there. to is the really important thing. Understanding the, the led to, yeah. what you've done. Yeah, and, and an actionable thing to avoid that thing happening again. I think that's 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 really key to, to know. Um, Boaz. What, one of the best advice I got from a good mentor that was a boss at the time years ago is the higher up you are in the organization, the, f the, the less time you spend with more people. And therefore, you have to adjust your communication style, you know, what and how you do. And I, I found that common. I, I go back to it every once in a while. I, I coach my team on, on thinking about it. Many of us have very strong relations with few people in our close team, and that level of trust enables us to be much more open in our communications, whereas the more you talk to more people, the farther you are from there, from them, and therefore you have to adjust your communication. I do think it all goes back into trust. If you have a team with a, a very trusting culture, when you talk to them, they look at this as feedback, as coaching, as helping. If you don't have a lot of trust, the same words can be more often interpreted as criticism, as you know, threatening, as you know, whatever. 
that, that has to do with, by the way, a lot about internal versus external communications, right? Internal ones are easier from that perspective because it's easier to build that level of trust compared to you know, what happened in the outside. With all of that said, when it comes especially to internal, um, there is something that happens, Phil was talking about the, the Brits versus the Americans. Um, in, in the US, in particular, in the last few years, there have been a trend towards a lot of um, sensitivity, which in many places becomes oversensitivity to the point where there is no meaning to anything you say. You, you, you frame things, you worry about things, you, you tone things down, and in the end of the day, the message has no meaning. Um, so I think we should all be careful not to, of course, you know, let HR know what we say and, and, and get sued. But at the same time, don't let outliers influence you too much. There is always someone who's going to be hurt by something, interpret things in the wrong way. If you, if you cater to the outliers, you don't you, you change yourself to become someone you're not, and your message has no meaning anymore. So put some caveat if you want, but be who you are and build on building the trust towards this is what I am, this is what I try to do, this is why I do it, and let's try to be open about it. That's a great point. And that goes back to to what Shari was saying, um, kind of, I think it was in the chat is, uh, you want impact over intent. And uh, I think that summary of if you if if you over index on the outliers, your your words can lose actual meaning and actual impact. And that can be the messages can can be completely lost there. Um, Elizabeth. Um, no, I, I agree with a lot of the, what you guys are saying, especially around the trust and um, being yourself. One thing that I know that once I started being a manager is like, uh, I, you know, I recall when I was an individual contributor is that the feedback would come rarely, right? And it will come rarely. Right, it left details. So when I became a manager, I knew that the things that I want to do with my uh, with my team and the people that I work with is that I constantly give them feedback because I don't want them to be surprised by anything. That's my like one of my goals. I don't want them to be surprised at the end of the year performance reviews that come every six months or so. And I tell them like there's nothing surprising in the feedback that will give you overall on those performance reviews because these are things that we touched on. Uh, these are things that we talked about. And these are things that I know you're working on or we're working together on. And also try to be vulnerable as well. It's just sharing the parts that I can be doing better as a way to model them to be more open to also share uh, what they're thinking and how they can be more self-aware with, uh, you know, how they're doing things in a day-to-day perspective. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. If it's, it's got to be constant. It's got to be kind of consistent as well. Um, and like you said, something that was discussed throughout the year to avoid that, like, why did you not tell me about this? This is how you felt for 11 months or 10 months, however long since our last performance review. Um, and it gives them something, it, it gives everybody something to work towards together as well, which, uh, which is a fantastic point. Thank you, Elizabeth. It really doubles down on the trust aspect uh, and ensuring that you know, there's understanding, especially where we, we have two we have two different directions that are happening simultaneously here. We have those asking others to be vulnerable on a constant basis so that there is this transparency in person or virtual uh, to understand what's going on on the other side, but also asking someone else on the other side to, hey, also be cognizant of what's going on. And it's a great ask, but the more we can do it, 
as with many things, the easier it can become to be that more routinized to do so in a way that you're not really thinking about it and you're not putting in as much effort. And as Phil's brought up, as Sherry hits on, uh, James, as you're touching, as a lot of us are really touching on here, at the end of it, we're looking to get great action. That's what we're really looking to accomplish. We're doing so for duty, but we're also getting the humanity piece out of it. Uh, Chris, I don't want to hold you up too much. What do you got to say here? Um, Okay, so what we talked about in the breakout room is I think the best company in the world to deal deal with the conflict culture is Netflix. Uh, I'll recommend this book right here, No Rules Rules. Reed Hastings, the CEO of um, Netflix, just published this book. Um, and you know, kind of, I'll read the first three chat, the titles of the first three chapters, which are first chapter one, build up talent density, chapter two, then increase candor chapter three, now begin removing controls. So, um, the reason why I really like his framing on conflict is he says that most companies go about conflict the wrong way, which is that people try to say things in a way that protects people's egos. And instead, the, the, the North Star should be give feedback that improves the company's outcomes. Give feedback that improves company excellence. So the outcome, the purpose of communication is to improve company excellence, not to protect egos. And the analogy he gives on how that works is that, um, you know, like a, like a marathon runner, um, you know, you can't go out on day one and go run a marathon, you know, 27 miles. You have to build up a tolerance. Your body has to build up a tolerance over time. And it's very painful in the early days when you start running, but the body gets used to it. You, 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 you adapt uh, to the pain over time, your, your, your brain and your body gets used to it. And giving feedback is the same way. When you give feedback and that feedback is criticism, uh, you also feel pain. That pain, but the pain is to the ego, not to the body. And so what's important over time is to create a culture where uh, people are given permission to share feedback directly with each other. And you kind of build up this tolerance. The ego builds up a tolerance over time so that you can start focusing on the thing that actually matters, which is not ego protection, but company excellence. So I really, really like that framing. Um, we used, We actually have borrowed his his uh, language verbatim in our core values, which is uh, say what needs to be said to improve company excellence. That's verbatim what our core values say. Now, the one, da- the one I think thing that's missing from, from Netflix's values, and if for anyone that knows Reed, he gets mixed reviews in terms of kindness. Um, and so there's this piece of like, how do you balance kindness with directness? And I think uh, companies probably need to introduce a core value around intent. We heard that word intent, good intent, um, about building relationships uh, to balance um, and give people the permission to be direct without being jerks about it. So we've added that into our our core values to address the kindness portion of this. But I feel like his framing uh, for for conflict is spot on, best I've heard. Yeah, I, 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 one of, I have two really fantastic managers. One is the most kind person I've ever met. 
the other person, yeah, I don't think he smiled at me for two and a half years. And so, but like the, the feedback and the lessons that I learned from, from each were pivotal in building kind of what I think I am today and what I think I could be in the future. Um, and, and, and lessons learned from both of them will stick with me forever. So uh, I really like that, that sort of focus on company excellence. And there were some things in the chat of like, you know, we're all, we, we want to all be here for the same reason. Um, if we think kind of selfishly, we're all here to be able to support and provide for our families and those of us around us to be able to do the activities that we love and, and, and take part in, but, but also see success in a business. So, you know, people join startups because they want to be involved in something, but people might join a slightly larger corporate machine because they want to be able to be part of that and have less kind of, um, uh, less like gray areas around the, the, the job role and responsibilities. So, um, again, it's the kind of knowing where you are at what time you're at and what stage the company's at, but I do like, the focus on like, what can we, this is, this is about how do we make this company more excellent? Cause when the, when the company's excellent, everybody makes more money, everybody has a happier time. And that's kind of, you know, when we think about it, that's kind of what it does come down to. So a great point. I'm going to, that, that book's been noted. It'll go on the, uh, on the to read list. So thanks there, Chris. Um, Anastasia, you got your hand up. Well, uh, I just want to add that as much as constructive feedback is important, it's also important to give positive feedback, what you did right. And the more you give what you did right, then anytime you have what you did wrong, and hopefully you fall into category that do a lot more right than wrong, it will be perceived a lot better. And it will be like, oh, 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 great. Note it. This is important. This is what I need to do better. But if without that positive feedback and having reinforcement that you're doing things right, we may not take that constructive feedback as well. Jeremy, you got your hand up. Yeah, I just uh, I wanted to add that I have learned to love conflict. And I think that I find that there's a weird contrast between people who have a high level of empathy and conflict. We can feel the emotions of others, but sometimes you fall into it. Or um, I, I think that I've learned in my career and I've tried to help others that learn, learn to like love the conflict is the way to figure out where the work needs to happen. Yeah. Um, and I, I just I find that's something that, that I wanted to share in this discussion. It's, it's the ultimate learning point. point. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the ultimate learning point. I mean, you know, where our our mistakes are our greatest lessons. Uh, our conflicts are our greatest opportunities to pivot. Uh, without mistakes in this world, how are we to learn? Uh, as Sherry brings up with her meetings and getting a rating for her meetings, you know, what do you learn if every meeting is just a ten? Yeah, how do you how do you learn to grow? How do you learn to change and adapt to things? Where do you come up with new strategies if everything is just perfect? Uh, uh, imperfect. Yeah, it's, is perfect. <laughs> it, it's good, but uh, you got to sometimes you got to keep an eye out for those who are looking for conflict for the sake of conflict. Yes. And um, but if there's if conflict occurs, usually when when a couple people are trying to like, achieve competing ideas, but yes. again there is opportunity in it, right? It doesn't always yeah. have to be sunshine and rainbows. We've got to have some difficult conversations every every now and again, and they're the ones that often drive real change because um, you kind of are last week we talked about vulnerability right be vulnerable be open to to maybe your opinion is you just need to say it right and it might not get the results you want but at least you're able to have a, a decent conversation um, from that i think uh, jake in the chat was looking for how to raise his hand so i don't know if jake you wanted to uh speak up here Thanks, James. I, I was I was going to just say how uh, you know sometimes just like Jeremy said, conflict is necessary. I think it's it's part of a 
uh, ongoing ability to to improve as an organization. And I also loved and oh my God, I forgot his name. Uh, the excellence, you know, the the you know the Netflix CEO saying that you know we we have to think of the company's excellence and. You know, uh, ego sometimes can be a little fragile and, you know, we think of ourselves as being perfect and what I do and what I provide the organization is unparalleled and, you know, I'm the best. But I think that once you open that door to constructive feedback and you let your, you know, personal feelings about being given feedback aside, if it comes from the intention of, you know, building company excellence, but also having that hard moment, I think it gets easier time and time again. Yeah, I, I was just thinking about like what's a really quick analogy for it because we've got one minute left to, to, to summarize this last point, which I think is great. Like, you know, your kid trips and falls in a playground. They get dirt in their knee. You don't just put the happy, smiley Band-Aid on the knee and walk away and call it good. You have to dig the dirt out, clean it out, which is a little painful. But this way, then it regrows. You scab, you heal, you move on, and it's good. And you have this thing that you've learned from like, huh, it hurt, but... But some, sometimes you learn when you do just put the Band-Aid on and it gets super painful, that wasn't the best way to deal with it. And you needed to dig and address that issue at the, at the first point. Um, and on that kind of gross analogy, uh, we, we hit 9.30 here today. Uh, I really appreciate everybody's time. Um, as always, please give us all of your feedback. Uh, be as candid as possible. We want to make this the best experience for, for all of you. Uh, rest assured, there'll be a 25-minute breakout room next time as well. Um, all right, guys, everybody, have a great day. Thank you very much for your time today, and we will see you shortly. Bye-bye. Hey, guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.